Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Hi, Anthony. Happy Friday. Hey, happy Friday. Thanks for having me on, Don. Appreciate it. Absolutely. I want to switch gears and and talk about your your latest writings, what you're doing. And I, I love your work, and you've become a regular now on the show, so I really do appreciate you. But take me through um, your latest. I talked about the Pennsylvania budget. Take me through what you're writing about re- more recently, Anthony. Yeah, so I've written a few things. Uh, this week I've been focusing on some pushes for uh, some more transparency in the legislature and how legislators are spending some uh, tax money for reimbursement. Um, I've done a few things. Let's see here. Um, on the potential for expanding rural uh, public transit. Um, I also worked on some uh, some permitting issues around hydroelectric plants. Uh, so I guess it just depends where you want to start with all this. Well, I'll tell you what. Why don't we Why don't we start with the fact the the fact because obviously the Pennsylvania the budget. And I've talked about Josh Shapiro, Governor Shapiro, broken promises, all of that. But you're talking more about the budget, a lack of receipts. Take us through that, Anthony Hannon. Yeah, so this uh, this is an evergreen issue of sorts. Um, okay. You know, this bill was introduced last session. Uh, you know, we have plenty of reporting uh, done by other outlets on this. Um, but we're looking right now at a bill introduced by uh, Representative Brett Miller. Um, essentially, Pennsylvania, uh, you know, when legislators are on official business, they can get reimbursed for, you know, uh, lodging, travel expenses, um, food. Uh, some states, you know, you need to turn in receipts for that to get paid for it. But Pennsylvania issues a per diem. Um, so legislators can actually uh, get reimbursed without providing any sort of receipts for that, um, even if they're not actually the ones paying. You know, for instance, if a lobbyist picked up the check for dinner, they can still claim the per diem to get that. Um, so Representative Miller's bill would essentially just say, you know, no more per diems. Abolish that. If you want to get reimbursed for something, you need to provide a receipt for it. And so this one, why? And so why? I guess the question is, what's the what's the backdrop to it? If they think it's double dipping. Yeah, I mean, I think when I was speaking with Miller, he said that you know many legislators legislators have done this sort of double dipping, um, where you know that's just extra taxpayer money in their pocket. Um, you know, this this is one of those things where very few legislators are willing to stand up and say, you know, this is fine, this is okay, or admit to it. Um, but for one reason or another, these sorts of uh, transparency bills are limiting how legislators can get these reimbursements. They usually don't really make it to the floor. They tend to die somewhere in committee or they're just low priority. And, you know, I, I think this is a general problem where in different states, 
until you see some sort of scandal break out that's mm-hmm. tied to this, you don't get much movement on it. And so how much money are we talking about? And this would obviously save taxpayers. So how much money are we talking about? Yeah, so this, this, it's a bit hard to nail down exactly. Um, you know, it, this is not something you can just easily look up very quickly and agglomerate it. Um, I believe back in 2021, um, Spotlight PA and the caucus did a year-long investigation where they looked over uh, receipts from 2017 to 2020. And all those receipts basically came out to about $200 million total. And then when you're looking at things like reimbursements for per diems, um, hotel, uh, food, that came out to about $20 million over those three years. Um, so, you know, some legislators, of course, do this more than others. Uh, some legislators say they just, on principle, they don't take a per diem. They send in a receipt for everything. Uh, but, you know, even though we don't have an exact figure, this, you know, this adds up to about tens of millions um, over just a few years. Uh, per diems specifically are easily in the millions. Um, but, again, it's hard to get a strong, robust number on that exactly. Yeah, I just don't get it in this day and age of, you know, electronic. You can even, if you have a receipt, you can take a photo of it and you could send that mm-hmm. in. It makes expense reports easier. So, um, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's one of those things where, you know, it, it's 2023. When you look at other states, Ohio doesn't allow legislators to use a per diem at all. New Jersey also doesn't allow it. Um, I believe Delaware also does not allow one. Okay. Uh, but even looking at our neighbors who do do per diems, uh, Pennsylvania's per diem is higher than most other states. Uh, so even if we do a per diem, it would be nice to kind of get that a little more under control and have a little more um, oversight of these taxpayer dollars. And so another one that you're talking about and taking a deep dive into, Anthony Hennon, you can find his work at thecentersquare.com, and this is on Pennsylvania the other headline, state-related university funding on ICE in Pennsylvania. So take us through it. Take us through what you're writing about as far as funding for Pennsylvania's state-related universities. Yeah, so Pennsylvania has a very complicated higher ed system. Um, as someone who grew up in Ohio and was down in North Carolina for a while, Pennsylvania just looks a little weirder than most other states. <laughs> um, but for the state-related universities, which are uh, Penn State, Temple, University of Pittsburgh and Lincoln University, uh, they're kind of in the in-between zone here where they're private universities, but they also get a lot of public funding. Um, generally, this is fairly routine every year where, uh, you know, they kind of ask for more money than the legislature is maybe willing to give them, but they get some sort of increase or at least some sort of funding. Um, but because they're state-related, they actually need a two-thirds majority rather than a simple majority for um, these appropriations to get approved. Um, recent years, Republicans have been a little uh, less willing to do this. Um, I, I think that this is partially coming from, you know, even though they're getting, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, uh, tuition rates are still going up. Uh, historically, these universities have said that the state money goes toward offsetting tuition costs for Pennsylvania students going to these schools. Um, but there's there's also, you know, some political drama over, I believe, the University of Pittsburgh mm-hmm. and how they've used some funding and whether that's done some research related to abortion. Um, so I, I think, yeah, there's a little more going on here than just simple um, legislative oversight. Uh, but it is an interesting thing simply because these state-related universities, they are not required to provide as much um, information to the public uh, as, you know, uh, schools within the uh, PASI state system are. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a little more, uh, it's harder to get records 
at least I as a journalist would like. Um, there's some bills that have popped up in the legislature this, ses- this session and last that would essentially require them to report on the, I believe it's something like the top 150 um, salaries for university personnel. Mm-hmm. Um, because currently that is not what happens. You know, they're looking to get some more detail on that. Uh, but yeah, th- this is, this is becoming more and more of a recurring issue, especially as you see, um, Republicans generally losing more trust in higher education than Democrats have in recent years. And part of the, part of what I'm seeing in your article, Anthony, is that the focus here, Josh Shapiro is, is fighting for what, $640 million to go to specifically Penn State University, University of Pittsburgh, Temple, and Lincoln University. And so it's almost like a little favoritism that they think they're giving this huge chunk to a select number instead of spreading it evenly. Is that a piece of this? Yeah, I mean, that's that's what some Republicans are arguing. Of You know, if we're funding these schools, we should be funding them equally rather than choosing some of the more prestigious ones. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to comment on that either way. Um, but that seems to be a newer argument where uh, we've been seeing in recent years coming up, um, which, you know, depending on how you see the value of, you know, how good is a degree from Pitt or Penn State compared to one from Patsy? Is there an argument for, you know, these more research intensive universities to get more funding? You know, it, it's, it's all kind of how you see the value of research, how innovative, how much economic growth these uh, universities are driving. But yeah, that, that's been something we've been hearing more and more. Yeah, and full disclosure, my my um, oldest son is at Penn State. He goes, you know, he's living at home right now going to Abington just because of a fairly recent diagnosis with type 1 diabetes uh, amid the pandemic, which created a lot of craziness for us. But I, I will say with Penn State's tuition, especially in-state, it's very affordable comparatively. And we I know some, we've heard about some rising tuition like Rutgers and some local schools that have raised their rates, but it's still really affordable. And I'm sure that's the concern in our Pennsylvania legislature with all the talk about student loans and paybacks and how expensive it is. Penn State is a very affordable, high-quality education. Mm-hmm. This, this has been kind of, again, this kind of shows how weird the Pennsylvania higher ed <laughs> system is. Because in, in other states, you know, you generally have some sort of university governing board where mm-hmm. it decides, you know, how many universities are regional campuses, this sort of thing. Um, but because Penn State kind of operates independently, as does PASI, and there's no necessarily state-level coordinating commission here, um, there's been this concern that, you know, all of Penn State's regional campuses are kind of creating uh, more competition for the other state system here. Um, and where, you know, you don't really see this in other states or neighboring states to the same extent. Um, and so there's this question of, are we overbuilding, especially when you look at, you know, Pennsylvania streaking student population? Uh, there, there's a lot that goes into it and whether that's one of the things that's driving these higher costs or at least higher burden on taxpayers or on students. Right. Yeah, I'm just looking at the basic, just just to give people a sense of it, the, the basic, and this is not books or some of the other stuff, but for a freshman and sophomore um, the basic per academic year cost, Penn State is fourteen and a half thousand for a year. That's that's mm-hmm. very reasonable. I th- I mean I think so. I I know that they're trying to keep that in line, but we'll watch that one. The other perspective I have on that is I I imagine that some of these pet projects of Josh Shapiro, for example, especially when I think about Penn State in Abington and 
the support that he got from, let's say, a Penn State or Temple University. He knows these people well. And so that maybe is being used as leverage um, by Republicans and some Democrats who really want to keep some kind of school choice for, um, you know, for people in a certain lower income bracket. They want to give some school choice those lifeline scholarships. I wonder if, you know, this is because I know it's a pet project for Shapiro. I don't know if you have thoughts on that or if you've looked into that as well. I know you go ahead. Yeah, not not too much. I mean, you know, I, I think uh, you, know, you look at the Pennsylvania legislature and the executive branch, and there are many uh, Penn State, Pitt, Temple graduates floating <laughs> around there. And you, you can't really discount that when yeah. you're thinking about these sorts of funding things. Yeah. Um, and, you know, this, this school choice program, of course, has kind of been the thing that's uh, uh, delaying the budget uh, possibly till September and how that, uh, that deal sort of fell apart and we're left in limbo here. So, you know, these, these things are definitely – there, there are factors here. Uh, how you can trace those, act, though, gets uh, gets so complicated. You yeah. Could say. Another one is that you took a close look at rural public transit, and and you're investigating that, and it's whether or not it's a legislative priority, and this would in fact, in fact, does it focus on Philadelphia or Pittsburgh? But no, you're looking at the rural countryside. Take take me through that because usually. When we talk about public transit, we're talking about, for us here in Philadelphia, you think of it as an urban issue. Can you explain what's going on here? Yeah, so this is something that's getting proposed by um, Jim Struzzi out in Indiana County here. Um, basically, he's looking toward uh, uh, passing a resolution that would essentially have the, I believe it's the Legis- Legislative uh, and Finance Budget Committee uh, do a, do a study, basically looking at what is the state of rural mass transit in the Commonwealth? Um, what are local residents' needs and priorities here? Uh, how can we improve this? Uh, because, you know, especially in rural areas, obviously, you know, public transit is you know, bare bones if existent at all. Um, but at the same time, you know, not everyone has access to a car. Uh, not everyone can easily get out to a medical visit or, you know, they might be an hour or more away from where they would need to go for a medical appointment. Um, so th- this is kind of this is something that's been growing, um, not necessarily as an issue, but at least it seems it's getting more attention. Um, and whether there's ways to not necessarily, you know, have these fixed bus routes, but have some sort of public transit to make sure people are more connected, you know, to get to work, mm-hmm. to get to a medical appointment, yeah. um, even to get, you know, a smaller city to a larger city nearby or just connecting from the outskirts of these towns into the small towns themselves. Uh, so I think it's something where, you know, you can look around nationally. There's some examples of this. Um, there's a few programs um, through the federal government where they'll have, you know, they'll make sure that you can get your medical appointments. Um, there's other things where it's kind of demand responsive, where someone can request a ride and then they'll send someone out to take them, which in some cases is actually more efficient than doing a fixed bus route in a low population area because, you know, it's just point to point. Um, you know who's coming. You can kind of reallocate those resources in a better way. Um, I think at least with Pennsylvania, it's interesting when you go to a lot of these small towns because they're still they're relatively dense compared to some other places um, where you know, if thinking back to where I grew up in Ohio, you know, things were much more scattered. Um, and so I think Pennsylvania, had, there's an opportunity here, um, at least in thinking, you know, urban areas, you sort of expect to have some sort of public transit. But there's a possibility here in, in uh, rural areas as well. 
and it's not necessarily it's not a waste of money there there are some opportunities here uh to make it count to really improve people's lives and improve local economies or at least establish more uh, community in these areas and another issue that you wrote about and my goodness you have so much we you know i'm trying to fly through some of these topics with anthony hennon of the centersquare.com but you know looking at broadband expansion and in pennsylvania there's a real need for this there are many people who campaigned on this and said we want to we want to make sure everybody has access to the internet because a lot of times you just talk about public transit that a lot of people are allowed in their jobs now or even if you're a student or homeschooling this has become really many people view it as a utility that everybody should have access to broadband to the internet Tell me about the need for more labor and the state of Pennsylvania's broadband expansion. Yeah, where to start with this? <laughs> um, so basically, uh, you know, nationally, there's this uh, the BEAD program, the I believe it's Broadband Equity Access and Development. I want to say, don't quote me on that. Uh-huh. Um, but essentially, this is a $45 billion federal program that's sending out money to states to expand the broadband networks. Um, it was announced about two weeks ago that uh, Pennsylvania will get about $1.16 billion for this. Um, and so this money will go through the Pennsylvania Broadband Development Authority, which will send the money out. Um, so right now, a lot of this has been essentially identifying where the need is. Um, the FCC recently updated some of their maps to kind of pinpoint unserved and underserved locations. Pennsylvania, we're looking at about 330,000 places that are uh, unserved and underserved and locations in this context means uh, homes, businesses, uh, you can say kind of community anchor institutions, you know, all sorts of different buildings, you know, households, businesses, all that kind of fun stuff. Um, and so this has been, this been, this is complicated on a lot of different levels. It's complicated of identifying this of figuring out how to spend this money, of figuring out who is going to build this, making sure you're checking all the boxes of federal guidelines, of state guidelines. Uh, but one thing that's kind of becoming an issue is all this money is going out at the same time to every state. And all this money is basically being spent over five years. Uh, so there's going to be some labor pressures mm-hmm. here. Uh, so there, there's concerns about being able to find enough people um, so the Broadband Development Authority, uh, their consultant, uh, I believe it's uh, Michael Baker International, is working on the study that they should submit by the 25th of July, I believe, uh, basically identifying what's going to be needed. Um, I believe they're estimating about, I want to say, five to 7,000 personnel will be needed to man the crews for connecting these networks in the last mile, uh, putting in the lines, you know, all, all factors mm-hmm. of building out this broadband expansion. Um, and so there's a lot of money going into this, but there's a big concern that there's going to be a labor shortage mm-hmm. simply because every state is going to be needing these people. Um, so this will involve, you know, not only locking down people, but making sure we're reaching out to, you know, kids finishing high school and going in yeah. and making sure they're getting trained to do this sort of work. Um, people finishing college or, you know, retooling their career later on in life. Uh, you know, there's going to be a high demand for this yeah. and we need to make sure, you know, if, if you don't have the labor in place, you know, there's going to be so many delays. And there's already, if you go to any part of rural Pennsylvania, I mean, you'll hear stories about this, about, you know, a rural businessman waking up at four in the morning to place his shipping orders because he can't get the Internet to work at any other time. Um, so it really matters. Pennsylvania, yeah. Yes. And, and oh, it's, just, I mean, it's, 
And let me just give a basic sense because sure. when people hear broadband, sometimes it, it go. It, you know, you don't realize what this what we're talking about. Any type of connection that can meet the FCC guidelines of what is it twenty five Mbps yes. download speed. All right, and then the upload speed that we talked about. It includes DSL, cable, fiber, fixed wireless, four G, five G satellite connections so it really cover i just wanted to i should have said that off the top but i realized that because some people might might not realize it covers all of that and that means access to your you know education jobs healthcare, entertainment civic engagement uh, infrastructure economic growth i mean it really is a critical thing and for for you know i'm you know living in philadelphia i take this for granted and i think it's important to put that into perspective you said what thirty thousand sites don't have proper um, service of this? Uh, no, 330,000. 330,000. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I mean, this is not only, you know, this is not only fast Internet. This is to the point of, you know, I was up at, um, in February in northern Pennsylvania um, where you go to some parts around Wellsboro, Tioga, that area. This is something where it's just basic phone service where the police or the fire department, they do not have reliable service up there. Oh, my there. goodness. So they're not necessarily in touch 24-7. So they have to send someone. Yeah, I mean, they, this this isn't just a business thing or an entertainment thing. This is basic phone service, basic Internet service. Um, and so you hear a lot of state and federal officials when they're talking about it. They're comparing this to you know rural electrification from the 1930s of this sort of fundamental. Yeah, it's important for businesses. It's important for quality of, of life. But basic government services, too, are not necessarily 24-7 connected in here. And this creates a big problem. Some of these uh, rural areas that just get overlooked. So this is huge federal money being pumped into the states. So uh, will the jobs, are these jobs union jobs, non-union jobs? What kind of jobs are we talking about? Yeah, so th- this is sort of an issue that's popping up here where the uh, Broadband Communications Association of Pennsylvania, which is a telecom trade group, uh, you know, they- they've kind of been critical of kind of two parts of this process with the Broadband Development Authority and how these- this money is going out. Um, one thing is that they don't necessarily understand the scoring rubric. They don't have the transparency of how much weight is being put on one thing over another. So it kind of makes it harder for them to fine tune their grant applications. So other states have made this um, made this information public. The other part of this is concerns over the prevailing wage requirement, um, which essentially drives up some of these labor costs. Mm-hmm. That generally, generally speaking, um, unions are more in favor of prevailing wage requirements. Non-union um, employers or workers are not in favor of this, generally speaking. Um, but there's this concern that these prevailing wage requirements drives up the cost of these projects, mm-hmm. um, and so that will basically mean the money doesn't go as far. Um, other neighboring states like Maryland, West Virginia, I believe Ohio, they do not have these prevailing wage requirements. Um, so they may be able, by the end of this, to have built out better systems or more far-reaching systems, whereas Pennsylvania lags behind on that. Um, that remains to be seen, but that is the industry concern that we've been hearing. Uh, but, you know, over the next five years, we'll really see how this shakes out. Yeah, this is a huge story that you're writing about, Anthony, and bringing to our attention. And that's just it. We might sometimes we hear about these these big bills, these big bloated bills, and you don't realize how does it impact your state or your county or, you know, your local municipality. And then to think about, you know, all these millions of dollars being pumped in, who gets it, the jobs, what it means to our region. I mean, it's a great opportunity on one hand, 
But then on the other hand, it's important to have transparency and, and watch what's going on here. It's a huge yes, story. With, with, with great opportunity comes great risk. And I, I think this is something that's really emphatic that the public needs to be aware of, that yes. many state legislators are aware of, of. If we don't use this money well, we're not getting another shot at this. Um, and the result of that could be rural areas stay disconnected, um, urban areas that are already disconnected or economically deprived. They also uh, lose out on this. Uh, but, you know, this, this is a huge thing. I think it's something the public really needs to be very emphatic about. We need to see transparency here. We need accountability or else you're just squandering. I mean, just so much money, so much money here. Well, now that now I feel guilty in what I'm about to say because you you know you talked about the the emergency need if somebody's calling you know reaching out to fire firefighters or police officers, but I, I my question was you know will it fix the issue of my teenage boys upstairs on the video games and all of a sudden my husband and I are streaming watching one of our shows downstairs and we feel like is that impacting you know so suddenly the signal gets funny. <laughs> like what what video games are you guys on that it's taking so much from, from our streaming services so i feel very yeah, spoiled I'll, <laughs> yeah i'll give you a definitely maybe on that we'll see if that improves <laughs> well listen anthony hennon you my goodness there's a writer's strike in hollywood maybe look at how, how much you write my gosh you you write a year's worth in a week uh prolific writer I have, I have very busy days <laughs> Anthony Hennon, we really appreciate you. And, and seriously, all across Pennsylvania, the issues that you're bringing to light that a lot of people might not know about. So um, honest to goodness, you do such hard work and a great writer and great reporter and journalist. Thank you so much for filling us in on all of this. Thank you. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.